everybody. Good to see you. Welcome, especially if you're somebody who's new here. Uh, really glad that you took the time to come out. I know, you know, it's, it's, uh, it takes a lot of guts, takes some risk to show up to a church that you've never been to before, you don't know what to expect, can be a little bit awkward, but we're, we're glad you, you did that because, you know, it's, it could be easier to stay home. We want to welcome everybody online as well. It's great to have you, but man, there's such a difference when you're here in person that there's a, a friendliness and I want to just stress how important that is that we are friendly to people, not just to each other, but to, to people who are new. I talked to somebody new here last week, and they said, man, your church is so friendly. And uh, so thanks to those of you who like, are dedicated to being greeters here, but really to everybody who makes this a, a good, warm, welcoming place to be. It really does make a difference. Now, because not everybody is able to show up in person, or, or you know, you just, sometimes you can't make it like midweek for a Bible study, for a men's group or women's group, I'm starting a brand new Bible study online starting next Sunday night. Uh, I was going to start it tonight, but somebody said there's some kind of event going on somewhere and maybe people wouldn't show up. So next Sunday, 6.30 online, sign up for it. We're going to be going through four New Testament letters. They're all one chapter letters, so I'm calling them postcards. And you can sign up either to just go out to guest services in the lobby or go online, southpoint.church/groups. Would love to have you join in that eight-week study. Now, tonight is the Super Bowl, and they're going to be playing it in Las Vegas at this brand-new stadium that seats about 65,000 people, so that's really big. But really, in comparison to the population of the metro Las Vegas area, which has 3 million people, I mean, that only, the stadium only holds about 2% of the population. Where we're going today in our text in the Bible is to the city of Ephesus, which was a big city, one of the biggest Roman cities of the empire, 200,000 people, and they too had a stadium, an amphitheater that seated 25,000, so that's a lot of people, but actually in proportion to the population, it's a lot bigger than the one in Vegas, which holds 2%. This one holds about 10% of the population. Now, this is, it's an arena where uh, they would have plays and competitions and um, ceremonies, battles, men against men, beast against beast, men against beast. But today we're going to see the Apostle Paul dragged into the middle of this big theater because uh, they, they're going to try to shut him up. He is making such an impact on the Ephesian culture that there's a, there's a big pushback, there's a big backlash against that. And that's our main point. Is our witness may disturb the peace. Witness anyway. Goes with the territory. We should be making an impact on the culture. There should be some pushback. There should be some backlash because we're making a difference. So we're traveling with Paul on his third missionary journey uh, through Acts chapter 19 and 20. So I'm going to invite you as I've been doing, get out your own Bible. Bring your Bible every week. I've looked around. I'm seeing some people bringing their Bibles, but everybody's got a Bible on your phone. So take out your phone. Go online to a place like Bible Gateway dot com or biblehub.com or download the version app, Y-O-U version. A lot of people use that. Uh, follow along with me. I'm going to be using the ESV because, you know, those online Bibles, a lot of different translations you can choose from. The English Standard Version is what I'll be reading out of today. But first, let me take you back to Ephesus once again to remind you and get your bearing that we're on this mission. And of course, we're all on mission, right? 
Each one of us individually is on mission for Jesus. The church has a mission. We support global missions. It's our missions month, so we'll be talking about that. Paul, this is his third mission. He's going around the Mediterranean Sea area. So let's throw that map back up on the board so you can see how in the bottom right, in the east side, you see the city of Jerusalem. Paul would start his journeys out of Antioch. So you travel north, Antioch of Syria. That's where he launches this journey, and he travels westward through back then it was called Asia Minor, that big province. Today it's the nation of Turkey. And he goes from city to city, town to town, to all the churches that he had started in the past. And he finally winds up on the west coast of Ephesus, which was the capital of that whole big province. It was an important commercial seaport and really the center of idol worship. So this was a great city for him to minister in to try to reach both Jews and Gentiles. You might remember he starts out going to the synagogue to reach the Jewish people first, as was his custom. He only lasts about three months there until he has to get out of there. He's no longer welcome. He takes all the disciples to the school of Tyrannus, which was some sort of school or community center uh, that they rented for a couple of years. And we did the same thing when started South Point. We were in schools for 10 years renting because, you know, they didn't have church buildings back then. So they needed a big space for everybody to gather. And it became a very great place to have a base of operations for the whole province, that whole Asia Minor province. They send out disciples and start churches. And we know that because in the book of Revelation, John writes to the seven churches of Asia Minor churches that probably were started during this time. So again, they're having great success everywhere, but it all comes to a screeching halt in this theater. So Acts chapter 19, read along with me, beginning in verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. And I love that again, that Christianity was called the way, right? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way. Now, it's causing a disturbance, and rightfully so, because he, he's really shaken things up here. And it's been going on for a couple years, but what really triggers this major backlash is money. Let's go on verses 24 through 26. For a man named Demetrius, and I just learned today, uh, somebody told me that's like a Greek word that in English would mean James. Didn't know, did anybody know that? There you go. Okay, so Demetrius, and we don't know who this guy is, but he is a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, which was the, the goddess. Well, he brought no little business to the craftsmen. I mean, this, this shrine trade, making shrine, touristy kind of um, mini models, brought a lot of business to these craftsmen. So these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and he said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Now, you know, this goddess Artemis, I, I, when I was a kid, you know, junior high, I loved studying Greek mythology, right? Very fascinating. But they took it very seriously. That really was their religion back then. And Ephesus was the center of Artemis worship. Now, this, she's actually different than the Greek Artemis, who was the daughter of Zeus and the sister of Apollo. This is a different Artemis, but very important. And uh, her name gets Latinized as Diana. You'll see that sometimes. But the thing is, um, 
she was like a mother goddess, a fertility goddess, which meant most likely their worship was pretty, you know, kind of orgiastic, uh, a lot of temple prostitutes going on. So not only was it very depraved, but uh, it was very lucrative. Because again, you had all these guys in the trades, this, the, these guilds, making these mini model shrines. A lot of tourists would come into town to this great temple, and uh, they would want to take back a souvenir, and they would take back one of these little shrines, and they set it up in their home, and they could worship Artemis at their home, or they'd wear it as an amulet, as a charm. And again, a lot of, a lot of money from that shrine trade, and Paul is cutting into their business. Because so many people are becoming Christians, they're not showing up at the temple anymore. They're not buying the, the, the religious stuff. And it, religion was big business for them. So they're figuring like, hey, we're going to be unemployed if this guy keeps it up. And so that's why Demetrius says, this guy is saying, can you believe it? That man-made gods are not gods at all. You think? <laughs> How can that be a god? Now, he's not wrong. That, that is what Paul was saying. But really, who is inciting all this? It's really not Demetrius. Who's behind it? Satan, right? Satan has got to shut Paul up because Paul is having so much success that he's either got to get him killed or at least get him imprisoned. And so that's what's going to stir up this mob violence against him. Now, today in America, uh, we don't worship Artemis, but we have our own idols. We have a lot of idols in our society today, and in, in a lot of ways, we're, we're living in Ephesus because our society used to be greatly influenced and impacted by Christianity, but not so much anymore. And why is that? Well, because a lot of us are not living any differently than the world. We're not offering any alternative. We're silent. We don't speak up for Jesus, so we're not making much of an impact. We're not much of a threat to the culture. You know, the transforming power of the gospel would cause people to change their lives, to give up their harmful, sinful practices. And that's the way it used to be. In fact, did you know Christianity used to be a threat to the liquor industry, to the saloons? When Christianity spread, the saloons had to shut down. There weren't any more customers. Christianity used to exert great influence on what came out of Hollywood. That's why movies used to be clean. Christianity used to influence what came out on your TV or what songs were played on the radio. Now, they were generally pretty clean forms of entertainment because Christians said something. Christians used to exert influence on what was worn, on the fashion. People used to be a lot more modest than they are today. What happened? We've just gone along with it all. We watch the same movies. We listen to the same music. We wear the same clothes as everybody else. We're not much different. Christianity ought to be a big threat to the porn industry. Not so much. wonder why. We ought to be a threat to all these weed shops sprouting up everywhere. But we're not. Christianity is something that should be exerting a lot of influence, but all we do is complain about the culture when really, if, if we were serious about our faith, I think we would make a pretty significant economic impact on the culture. And we kind of saw that a little bit in the past couple years where a lot of people said, you know what, I'm not going to shop at Target anymore because they're selling clothing that's grooming kids sexually. And it did some good. Or, or you know, I'm not going to support Disney because all the propaganda is coming out of there. And we did some good. 
But we ought to be doing a lot better than that. And the thing is, Paul didn't exert influence through picketing and protesting. He did it through what? Through preaching, right? Persuading people to become Christians, to turn away from all that stuff, from their idols and their sin and their superstition. And that's what made a change. I mean, the more converts to Christianity, the fewer customers for all that nonsense business, right? So, if people are really getting saved, then I think we would see a greater economic impact. That's what happens. Why? Because Christians learn to handle their money better. They stop wasting their money on so many ridiculous things. They stop spending it on sinful habits and nasty things. Uh, they start to get a better work ethic and they work, they get jobs and they work harder and they, they improve their economic condition. It's kind of like, you know, it's a wonderful life, how Bedford Falls becomes Pottersville, right? That's kind of what has happened to our culture. Christians used to have more influence and now it's become Pottersville. And how do we get it back to Bedford Falls again? Well, by having more people come to Christ and exerting that influence again. You know, you know what, what businesses, what companies would you like to see put out of business? I would like to see prisons go out of business because so many people are following Christ, there's not much crime anymore, which means I like to put cops out of business. Sorry, the officers we have here, but we would like to see you go out of business because we don't need you anymore. We would love to see Planned Parenthood go out of business, all the abortionists, yeah, because nobody's going to them anymore. We'd like to see divorce, divorce lawyers go out of business. We would like to see fewer mental health professionals needed because people are beginning to think right, think more biblically, think more like God. Changes, their minds are renewed. We would like to see all the mosques and temples shut down. Not by force, not by violence, but because so many people are converting, nobody left to go there. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now some say, oh, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't be trying to convert people and get them to change their faith. Absolutely, that's what we're called to do. Jesus says, go make disciples. Point people to the way, truth, and the life, which means they're going to turn away from false religions and philosophies and superstitions and sinful habits. And we're not doing it out of anger or out of hostility or violence. Or we're doing it out of love. And some people don't want that because they, they don't want to change. Some people hate the truth because the truth is they would have to give up worldly pleasures and partying, and popularity, and money. Some people hate the truth just because it's the truth. So we're in a supernatural battle here, and it's no different than what was going on 2,000 years ago. Verse 27, Demetrius says, and there's danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world will worship. This guy's smart. He's not appealing to the crowd on the basis of, hey, we're losing income here. He says, oh, they're harming our religion. They're overturning our values, our traditions. We've got to do something about that. And so he says, our temple, our great temple of Artemis, it, nobody's going to come to it anymore. Our city's going to collapse because the tourist trade is gone. And by the way, that, that's what the Temple of Artemis may have looked like. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the world, but it's no longer there. 
So we can only speculate all that's left are a few columns. And people can still go there and see it, but there ain't no worship going on there anymore. So Paul kind of had some success, right? He said, our religion's in danger. So he's manipulating the crowd through religious propaganda. He's getting them all whipped up into a frenzy, very emotional. Doesn't matter about the facts. What's your feelings? Oh, this is awful. So, verses 28 and 29, when they heard this, they were enraged, and they're crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with the confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. So it turns into a furious mob, and it's really more than just a rallying cry, Great is Artemis. This is like a worship cry. This is a, a prayer. So again, they're using this religious propaganda, and there's thousands of people... And there's all this confusion going on, and they rush into the theater. Now, that theater was a big deal because it was connected from the seaport, where all the tourists landed, by a big, wide marble road, and at the other end was this huge amphitheater, and it's still there. You can go there in Turkey and see it today. And again, they would have all kinds of different events going on there, but now it's time to bring the Christians into the middle of the arena. So they drag in Gaius and Aristarchus. Where Paul is, don't know right now, but these two will do. Gaius, we don't know who that is. That was a pretty common name back then. Aristarchus, he's somebody Paul mentions in his letter to Philemon. But uh, here they are in the middle of this theater, surrounded by, you know, 25,000 people screaming out. So these guys' lives are in danger. The, the, they're the bad guys. These are the bad guys. They're wicked which I went recently to a theater myself, downtown Detroit, to take my wife for her birthday to go see the musical Wicked. I'm a little behind. I know it's been out for 20 years, but finally got her there, and uh, we enjoyed it. It's, it was a good musical, good story. Um, it's really, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's like a prequel to the Wizard of Oz movie. In fact, they're turning it, this into a movie, in two movies, itself, and it really tells the backstory of the characters, especially the Wicked Witch of the West. And really, I went into this thinking that it was going to give me uh, the story of how she became wicked, but I don't think I'm doing a spoiler alert. And by the way, it's been 20 years, so anyway, um, she uh, is, is not as wicked as we thought. They kind of reimagine the story. There's some revisionism that inverts the morality so that the heroes are flawed. Glinda is not very good. She's pretty arrogant and vain and superficial. And the wicked witch, she's actually the good one. She's, she's the hero. She's the only one that will stand up for what's right. And now kids love this story. But I'll tell you what, it gave me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, I mean, it was chilling at one point in the play when the witch says, I feel wicked. And the place erupts in applause. I went, whoa, what was that? It kind of reminds me of the revisionism of the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. You've seen that, right? If you haven't, that's been out for like 60 years or something. Um, but, you know, they, they totally mess with the story. Did you know Jesus Christ Superstar is told from the perspective of whom? 
Judas. It's Judas Iscariot's story. And in Jesus Christ Superstar, Judas is the good guy. He's the one trying to do good and help Jesus, this messed up, confused, conflicted, so-called Messiah. And so Judas is trying to help him along. And he, he knows that by betraying Jesus, it's going to help him. Jesus would approve. And when he's offered 30 pieces of silver for his betrayal, oh, no, 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 I couldn't do that. But when they convince him, no, you can use this money to help the poor. Oh, that's, oh okay, well, I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> and by the way, they leave Jesus dead in the tomb at the end of the musical. So yeah, they're kind of flipping the story upside down. And that's what's going on here with Paul and Gaius and Aristarchus. Oh, these guys, they're the villains. They're the ones doing wicked. What are you talking about? Hey, the Christians today. Yeah, some of you are old enough to remember, we used to kind of be viewed as the good guys in society. We were the ones doing good, helping society. Now, we're portrayed as the bad guys. We're the villains in modern society. We're the wicked ones who are standing in the way of freedom and progress and diversity and inclusion. We're just haters and judgmental. Wow, what happened? It's all been flipped. So in verses 30 and 31, it says, when Paul wished to go in among the crowds, when Paul finally shows up, here's about this. See, the disciples wouldn't let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, and Asiarchs were rulers who had been elected from all over the province. They were friends of his. So Paul's got some friends in high places. They sent to him and Paul to Paul, and they're urging him not to venture into the theater. So Paul is looking at this huge crowd. He's going, wow. What an opportunity for me to preach the gospel. <laughs> yeah, uh, <clears throat> Paul, not a good idea. Why don't you get away and live to preach another day? So verses 32 through 34, Now some cried out about one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them didn't know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew... For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So there's this mob mentality going on where they don't even know why they're there, right? And that nothing new. We see that. Have you seen when we've had people in, in mobs and riots out in the street and they'll go up and they'll interview them and they're protesting and all that? What, what, what are you protesting? Um, um, that guy, that, that person. Why? Um, He's bad. Why? Uh, leave me alone. What, what are you protesting? What are you picketing against? That, that policy. What, what, what's wrong with it? it it's bad. Why? Uh, go away. I mean, it's nothing new. We're seeing that right before our eyes today. Same thing is happening here. And it reminds me back in the day, oh, about 25 years earlier, when there's another crowd gathered together. And they all start shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. What, what, why? What did he do? Uh, he's bad. Yeah, but what did he do? Crucify him. They have no idea, right? They've just been incited to call out for the death of Jesus. So in Ephesus, they send out this guy named Alexander. We don't know who he is, but he seems to be some sort of influential Jewish leader. And I'm guessing that he's going out because, you know, the Jews didn't honor their idols, didn't worship Artemis either. 
And so he might be saying, hey, just want you guys to know, um, yeah, we're not with Paul. Um, <clears throat> that's a whole different thing. But they don't even listen to this guy. They, they, get, they shout him down. He has to leave. And by the way, throughout the book of Acts, as Luke is writing about all these times of persecution, you know, Luke is the one with Paul recording this, and he, he always points out, it's not the Romans who are causing the problem. It's the unbelieving Jews who are stirring up all this trouble. Actually, the Roman laws actually benefited Paul. He would use his Roman citizenship to claim rights to protect himself, his friends, and the local assemblies. So, in verse 35, we read, when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? So this guy's smart and he's smooth. To, to soothe the crowd, oh, of course, come on, everybody knows how great our goddess is. Everybody knows how great our city is. Don't, don't overreact to this Christianity stuff. It's not going to overshadow what we've got going on here. Just relax, it's going to be okay. Verses 36 through 41. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet. Do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, well, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. You've got to give this guy credit. This guy's got, he's got some guts, right? Takes a lot of bravery to stand up to this mob and call out for justice and say, hey, come on, no crimes have been committed. Um, and again, it reminds me back, Pilate, the governor, stands up and says, why do you want to crucify him? He's done nothing wrong. He could have dispersed the crowd, sent him home too. But Pilate caves in. This clerk sends him home. Why? Because they're in danger of, you know, hey, they're a Roman province, and they've got some special privileges. They've got some freedom. But if they see this going on, they're going to come in and crush us. So let, let's not do this ridiculous thing. You know, we, we, I think in our culture today, we have grown a lot more used to mobs and rioting. We've grown to expect it. And I don't think anybody's going to be surprised if there's a whole lot of mobs and rioting going on later this year. You know, especially as we get to the election, it doesn't matter which way it's going to go. There's going to be some enraged people. Nobody's going to trust the results. There's going to be rioting. We know that. But we're not going to get pulled into that. Because we learn not to have that mob mentality and just go along with the crowd and accept whatever manipulation or propaganda is used out there. We think, we reason, we use the courts. We don't settle things with hostility and violence. We, we try to use the justice system if we can, while we still can. I mean, that's even if now too, right? But we try to be like Paul. We reason, we persuade. Let me just close it out here by going into the next chapter with one verse. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell, and he departed for Macedonia. So yeah, his work there is done. Uh, it's over. Uh, he's going to go back to Europe, to the churches he started on that Greek peninsula, and we'll come back to him next week. But Christianity became such a serious threat 
to the false religions and philosophies that had absolutely changed Ephesus. And we know that because all that's left there of Artemis are the ruins. Art, nobody's worshiping Artemis anymore, but we're still honoring Paul. And we're still worshiping the wall, one that Paul proclaimed, which is very convicting and challenging to, to ask what kind of culture, why has the culture gotten to the way it is today? Why are we not impacting the culture any longer? Are, are we making any imp impact? I, I don't think so. In fact, we are being ignored. We are being mocked. We're a joke. People are constantly bad-mouthing Christianity and just go online. People saying all kinds of terrible things about Christianity, but they don't know why. It's that mom mentality. Well, everybody's saying it, so I'm going to say it too. That's what I heard. Christians believe this. Christians do that. Christians are terrible people. How do you know? I, I heard it on, on YouTube. Oh, well, really? Okay, so we're right back in Ephesus again. And part of it's our fault because we're not living differently. We're not sharing the gospel. We're not saying Jesus is the only way. If we were really out there saying that, there would be plenty of pushback and backlash. I'm not sure about riots, but I think that we would see a lot more peace disturbed. So let's disturb the peace. That's what we should be doing. Again, not through hostility and violence, but by living differently, by example, and by expansion. There's so many people coming to Christ that it changes everything. So our witness may disturb the peace. Witness anyway. I want us to be ready for anything that comes because things may get rough for us. Our views will be viewed as offensive. We will ruffle feathers. Get used to that. We saw last week in Canada how things are getting rough there for Christians and churches. They're being intimidated. They're being threatened. And that may be coming here as well. I don't know. But I want us to be ready for anything. We can't control the culture. It may continue to slip away from us. They may end up intimidating us, threatening us, trying to shut us up. But don't you dare let them. We're going to keep presenting Jesus and pointing to him as the way, the truth, and the life. We will be the countercultural alternative movement in this society that, that counteracts all the madness going on because we are sharing the gospel lovingly and boldly. That's why we're talking about your mission too. Who are you trying to reach for Jesus? You know, he talked about the shepherd who leads his 99 sheep to go find the one that's lost. Who's your one? One more for Jesus. That's why we emptied the arrow out there in the lobby that you guys filled up with ping pong balls and you wrote names of family and friends and other people on there that you're praying for and that you want to see come to faith in Jesus. And it's been there in a few months, and I hope we've seen some of those people come to Christ. But it's time to refresh that. So we emptied them all out, and already you're starting to fill it back in with new balls. Maybe the same names as before, maybe it's some new names. But go out after the service. Let's get that arrow filled up with those names again, especially leading up to Easter, which is only seven weeks away, March 31st. You have a mission. But we're also talking about our mission as a church. Now next week, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 20. We're going to see a death in a church service. Yeah, there's somebody who literally dies in a church service in the next chapter. But let me use these final moments to remind you of global missions. 
We've been supporting missions since day one, and we break our mission support down into three categories. Last week, we talked about church planting, best way to reach new people. We talked about Impact Canada and the church that we want to start in 2028, somewhere in the world. Next week, we'll talk about global evangelism, which is all the other ways of sending out people into the world to share the good news of Jesus. But today, we're talking about compassion outreach, which is meeting people's physical and material needs in the hopes of leading them to Christ, to meet their eternal needs. And we're specifically talking about IDES, International Disaster Emergency Services, which all over the world meets those physical material needs to provide an open door for the message of Christ. Watch this. IDES does some great, great work, uh, and especially because they work through local churches already on the ground there. They specialize in evangelism, in medical care, in community development, in hunger relief, and in disaster response. Uh, because of your giving, wells have been dug in Kenya, food has been distributed in Honduras, refugees from the Ukraine war have been housed, and IDES is actually going to be starting a new church in India in a leper colony. Uh, in December, they sent out a shipment of sheds to help tornado victims in Clarksville, Tennessee. A couple weeks ago, over 250,000 meals were sent to Liberia, and in October, IDES staff went out to the island of Maui after the devastating wildfires to meet with the ministers there and the victims as well. So I want you to see that update. the wildfire, we were overwhelmed of the devastation. We felt the need to be a part of the ministry of helping the victims, but we don't have the resources. One night, there was a guy introduced to you to the IDES, I-D-E-S. Somebody will be calling you, and that is Brother Stein, will be calling you. That started everything. 
when funds coming from IDS without our knowing how God worked in ways we cannot see, giving us the fund needed and the trust they have for the church. And because of the trust, it helped a lot of family beyond our expectation. And we praise God for being a part of this wonderful ministry. Now we see why Cornerstone Christian Church was established because we will be used by God through the help of donors. We are just a belt to convey what they are giving to us and share with other people around. So they know that whatever the church is doing right now, it's so sincere and loving. And they feel the love of Jesus Christ in their lives because at the end of every visit to them, there is always the prayer. This morning alone, this Sunday, one among the victims came to church and accepted the Lord and soon be baptized this coming Sunday. And because of your love, because of the help you provided, there is one soul came to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, there is great joy among the angels in the presence of God for just one soul to repent and to be saved. And praise God for that. So uh, June 9th, one of the directors from IDES is going to be here in person to share with us a little bit more about their mission. But that's why the challenge is for you is between February 19th and 25th to be as generous as possible in supporting our missions because whatever we give, every dollar will go to our missions and it's going to support them for the entire year. So if you're able to give more than you usually do, two times, three times, four times as much, know that it's all going to go to the missions and 15% of all of this given to missions will go directly to IDES itself. So I'd love to see us uh, surpass our previous uh, amounts and goals and, and give as much as we possibly can. But let me speak to some of you right now who, you're, you're the mission right now because you have yet to make a decision for Christ. And maybe you've been looking at a lot of different religions and spiritualities, but you've, you've never found the answer because there aren't any answers in those things. All the world can offer you is idols. Jesus is the answer because he showed himself to be God in the flesh who died for your sins on the cross and rose from the grave and no other religious leader, founder, or adherent has ever done that for you or could ever do that for you. Only Jesus did that for you. So if you've been coming for a long time, it's not, it's not a matter of information. You already know all this. What's holding you back? What's, why the delay? Today you need to take care of business. You need to make that decision. Come talk to somebody after this message or after the service is over. If you're online, text us, email us because we want to help you take your next step to come to Christ, to be baptized right here, right now, today to rededicate your life to Christ, to become a part of the church, whatever it is. We would love to help you with that. Now, maybe you're here for the first time or it's only been a few weeks and it is an information thing. I mean, you're like, hey, pump the brakes a little bit. I'm not quite ready for this. All right, that's fine. But pursue the information. Have a conversation. Best thing you could do is to talk with the person who invited you. I'm sure they would love to have coffee with you or go out for lunch and take the conversation to a new level. And I think it would be a really great thing if more of those conversations took place today. But if you came on your own, again, kudos to you. That takes a lot of guts to show up to a new church on your own. But we're here for you and we want to answer your questions and help you make some progress today. Get closer to God. Let's pray about that right now.
Father, we want to pray that decisions will be made right here in this moment with those who are here on site, those who are watching or listening. I pray they'll make the best decision ever, that they'll turn away from this world and its, its idols and its superstitions and its sins and behaviors, God, and, and they'll follow Jesus. And we're praying for those that we know, our family, our friends, uh, schoolmates, uh, co-workers, God, all the names that we're writing on those ping pong balls. We're praying that you will open doors so that we can talk to them about the Lord, that we can invite them here. We pray for our global mission, God, all these missions that we support and so many others that are spreading the good news around the world. We pray specifically for AIDS, where all these terrible things are taking place. God, may, may these Christians come in and be a source of hope and a source of light and point them to Jesus. God, we pray for our own backyard, though, uh, that we would have greater influence that you would make us bold, that we would begin to impact our culture more and more because more and more people are coming to Christ and truly living for Christ. We pray against the devil and all his schemes to try and stop that and to shut us up, God. Help us to keep pointing people to the way, the truth, and the life. In whose name we pray it. Amen.